Welcome to My Middle East, the podcast from Embrace the Middle East. Embrace is a Christian development charity. We work with Christian partners in Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Israel, and Palestine to lift up vulnerable and marginalized communities. And we launched this podcast with the idea of helping our audience to understand this vast, complex, often troubled region by looking at it through the eyes of those who know it best. So I'm Tim Livesey, CEO of Embrace the Middle East, and I'm really pleased today to be uh, welcoming uh, Serop Ohanian, who is director of the Howard Karaguzian Foundation in Beirut, Lebanon. The center provides healthcare and vocational training to vulnerable Lebanese and refugee communities in Lebanon. But I want to begin, first of all, by welcoming you, Serop, very, very warmly and thanking you for joining us today. Could you tell us a little bit about the area of Beirut where you grew up, which is called Burj Hamoud? Hello. Thank you, uh, Tim, for, um, for this wonderful interview. And thank you, Embrace, for this wonderful initiative. My name is Serop Ohanian. I am uh, born and raised in Beirut, Lebanon, in a small town called Burj Hamoud. Originally, my family is a descendant of an Armenian uh, genocide survival, uh, where uh, my family members were lucky enough to survive the the, the Armenian genocide in 1915, happened uh, uh, by the hands of the Ottoman um, Turks. Uh, the family members, uh, my great grandfather, was able to survive from the from the massacre. He was 13 years old, boy. And um, he was deported. Uh, he witnessed in front of his eyes how his family members were all murdered. And um, he became part of the Armenian orphans who uh, found themselves walking around through the desert of Deir Zor and then through Syria. And then he was settled among the other Armenian orphans in Beirut, Lebanon in 1916. <clears throat> So, and then he got married with another orphan amongst the Armenian uh, uh, church. And here I am, after 100 years, a descendant from the Ohanian family who became Lebanese. We, did, we received a Lebanese nationality back in 100 years ago. And here I am, uh, back to Beirut, Lebanon, serving with the, with the Karagozian Center. Serap, it's, a, it's an incredible story, and some of the background may not be entirely familiar to the audience. So just to recap on that, that your great-grandfather at the age of 13 was one of those who was forced to, forced to leave Turkey uh, at the beginning of a genocide that actually stretched from 1915 through to 1922. Uh, and to make it all the way to, at that age, to make it all the way to Beirut is, is is extraordinary because they had nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and as we know, many, many died on the way. But thank God they did arrive. And if I've got this right, Burj Hamoud really became a kind of a center for the Armenian community. And your father, I think, was a was a an artisan. Yes. So uh, when uh, this young boy was settled in Beirut, Lebanon, amongst the Armenian orphans in an Armenian orphanage financed and managed and helped by international humanitarian agencies. And I believe Embrace also was one of the uh, huge um, uh, humanitarian organizations who helped Armenian orphans, Armenian refugees, Christian refugees to, to, to have a life 
so this young boy became an adult man and he got married with another Armenian orphan and they formed a family. And then my grandfather was born in Lebanon in 1920, in 1920s. And uh, being a Christian refugee living in Lebanon, they started all over again from zero. And so the grandfather uh, established a small factory, very small size enterprise in making, manufacturing and making women's shoes. And then my father uh, inherited that small factory, small um, artisan, until recently uh, when my father died at the age of 52 because of cancer. So after his death, the shoemaking uh, business, the shoemaking industry stopped uh, my family. So this is my family's background. So I guess I have to ask this question, Sarah. Uh, why didn't you go into the shoemaking business? Uh, I wanted to, uh, I was helping my father when I was young in the, in the city of Bershamud, but uh, I, I was eager to learn I am the first generation among my family who continued my education and uh, graduated um, uh, into university and I got a university degree. So being an Armenian uh, refugee, uh, third generation, fourth generation Armenian refugee, I was the first among my family members to, uh, to get a university degree. My brother continued in the shoemaking uh, uh, business, in the shoemaking industry. Uh, but until the years uh, 2010, where uh, because of the economic, severe economic issues and because of uh, 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 cheaper items that were imported uh, from Far East, the small factory, my brother decided to close the small factory and he moved to Qatar. And as for myself, I was more involved into humanitarian uh, mission into humanitarian uh, uh, aspect of life. Uh, it drew my attention to the Karagozian Center that was operational in Lebanon since 1940s, 41. Uh, and this is my, and I joined the Karagozian Center in 2003. This year is my 20th, 20th year with the Karagozian organization. Wow. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, if I may, Sirop. But first, uh -huh. just tell just tell us a little bit about Hagazian, the university, and what did you study there? And you mentioned that that your attention, your kind of uh, longing, turned towards sort of humanitarian sector. Tell us a little bit about that too, because I think that may have happened about the same time. Yes, uh, in the year 1997, uh, when I was 18 years old. I decided to apply to Haigazian University and um, because we were having financial issues, financial difficulties, gladly the Haigazian University offered me a scholarship. Also, my high school grades were high and I was admitted to study School of Business Administration at Haigazian University. Uh, when I attended there, my life was changed within the university where the, I got introduced to the Christian aspect of life through the campus minister. My life was changed. I found my faith back in those university years when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I got to know better the word of God, the Bible. My life was changed. 
I decided to be part of the church, being a young man, uh, a fresh graduate in the School of Business Administration. I became more and more active in the life of the church in Beirut, in Bush Hamoud, uh, and the adventure began. It occurs to me that if you were born around 1980, you were born in the middle of a civil war. Uh, yes, I'm, um, I lived and I experienced the civil war until the age of uh, 12. I experienced civil war from newborn kid until the age of 12. I lived most of, most of the times in the basement to, to be protected against the shells. I remember that day uh, when I was eight years old when our school was attacked and uh, and our school was bombed thankfully nobody died but i uh, i was saved by my school principal and he was the one who who carried me over from the from the rubble i was 8 years old and and he personally he drove himself to uh, to my house to my parents house back in those days there was no uh, internet there was no facebook there was no whatsapp he saved my life this my school principal, and I was touched by that when I was eight years old. And that's why I think that is the first seed of humanitarian work that I learned while eight years old, how to save people's lives by the hand of my school principal. And that was that was the start. I remember very well the bombs, our house was, uh, was our apartment where we used to live uh, was bombed. We, but but we were, our lives were spared. Whatever my father owned, it was burned because of the fire, because of the gunshots. But thank God we made it. And then when I was 12 years old, the the war stopped, and we began. Lebanon became, as of 1994, Lebanon became uh, all over again. You know, uh, post civil war. Life. Uh, for those who haven't been there, which will be most of the people who listen to this podcast, uh, if you ever get to, to Beirut, I haven't been, I have to say, since the port explosion, which we'll probably come on to in a moment. But the downtown area, which was so heavily bombarded, was the front line between the two sides in the civil war, has been reconstructed in the most amazing way. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, how did you end up at working for Karagouzian? During the church uh, worship service, um, the the speaker was happened to be the president of the Haigazian University, Reverend Dr. John Kanjian. So after the church service, he approached me and then he told me, young man, I know you, you've been very effective while during the university uh, years. I want to uh, advise you to apply for, for a job vacancy as an assistant to the director of the Karagozian Center in Burj Hamoud. And he said that his, uh, the, the current director was, name was Reverend Robert Sarkisian. And then he said, Robert is looking for a young, dynamic uh, person with a business minded uh, to be his assistant. And he said the, the director doesn't want to be uh, somebody in a clergyman. So I strongly advise you to apply. And that was it. I applied in 2002. So I had a meeting with the, with the previous director of the Karagozian Center, who happened to be the director since 1967. 
And uh, he liked me, and then he gave me the job offer. I started working as of Jan 2003. Uh, I was assistant to the director. Uh, the, and then I remained his assistant until the year 2011, where the Syrian crisis started. Let's pause on the Syrian crisis, because I know this has had a massive impact, a massive impact on Burj Hamoud a massive impact on the Karaguzian Center, and there's an awful lot to unpack. What have you learned from working with Syrian refugees? Uh, tell us a little bit about how they came to be in Burj Hamoud and the effect it's had on the center. Uh, and uh, slowly we'll come up to a little bit closer to the present day, but I, I think let's hear a little bit more about uh, the, the, the impact of this influx of Syrian refugees. Um, being an Armenian in Lebanon, I've heard the stories of, uh, of from my parents, from my grandparents. What is the meaning of being a refugee? What is the meaning of losing our uh, home, our our land, our apartment, our village? And and also at the same time, I've witnessed, I've heard stories about survival, about being a Christian, relying on God. Uh, and trusting and circling on his promises. I've heard those stories. Uh, and then uh, being a young, being a kid who have exp actual experienced the civil war uh, also impacted my life. So my uh, inner self was formed with a combination of those stories from my parents, how to keep the Armenian language, how to keep the Armenian heritage, how to keep a Christian heritage alive, at the same time living as a Lebanese uh, within this civil war, and then uh, add to it the academic education that I received in the School of Business Administration, in a School of Management, and on top of it, uh, experiencing uh, uh, Christ's love by having my own Bible and reading it and memorizing verses and experiencing uh, the abundant life in the midst of trouble have formed my character uh, to be a man after God's own heart, at the same time to, to be proactive, to, uh, to use whatever skills I've learned in the School of Business Administration in order to provide best possible humanitarian care for those around me. So this is this is my character. This is how my character was formed. And then when I was assistant to the director uh, over, over those nine years, he told me the story of the Karagozian family, the story of the Karagozian center, how the Karagozian was formed because of a pandemic, because of the great influenza pandemic back in 1918 where because of the great influenza pandemic, Howard Karagozian loses his life at the, age of, at the age of 14. So his parents decided to establish an endowment fund in the name of their deceased son. So um, having tasted and experienced the bitterness of being a refugee, the bitterness of a pandemic, the bitterness of uh, various type of life, and when the and here we come in the year 2011, when the Syrian crisis started, the border between Lebanon and Syria was open. Many, many Syrian refugees fled away from Syria and found safe haven and refuge in Lebanon, 
in Beirut and amongst the Armenians in Burchamut. So we had no choice but to be proactive, but to open our arms to provide best possible humanitarian aid in the absence of government in Lebanon. And give uh, give us a flavor of the of of what that actually means humanitarian aid what is what are the kinds of uh, needs that the Karaguzian is essentially responding to and also perhaps give us a flavor of the of the what i know to be the huge increase in demand that you've been able to respond to the Karaguzian center is a non-profit organization located in a city of Burchamud it is heavily populated by Armenian Christians. Suddenly, per day, the Karagosian Center used to receive 50 patients in one day. Suddenly, the 50 patients became 200 patients per day. The additional 150 were Syrian refugees. And I don't know what happened. These people suddenly uh, fled themselves. They found themselves in amongst the Armenians in Burchamut, the Christian community, and they wanted to receive immediate medical care, uh, uh, milk for babies, uh, immediate medical care. They were they were in need of clothing. They were in need of uh, refuge, uh, blankets, food, uh, and uh, many many sick people were there. High fever, uh, and um, and and huge crisis. So from 50 patients per day, it was it, it increased into 200 patients per day. And then 200 patients became 300 patients per day. And it was a huge crisis. Uh, I had an immediate meeting with my board and I said, what am I going to do? They all looked back to me. They said, you're the director, handle it. <laughs> and it was it was a catastrophic situation the first couple of days. Uh, the UN was not active as it's supposed to be in the absence of the government. The NGOs and the church became actively involved on the ground to help these people because we had no other choice. I think one of the things that the, the the center has to take account of is not just people's physical needs, great though those are in terms of uh, providing uh, health care, but also their psychological needs. Tell us a little bit about how trauma has become a big, big facet of uh, your life and their lives and the work of the center. So from 2011 and onwards, day by day, month by month, we started to to learn, we started to do need assessment to provide care for these people on the ground uh, in cooperation and collaboration with other like-minded organizations, the church, the UN agencies, and, uh, uh, and the government, Ministry of Health or the Ministry of Social Affairs, whatever, whoever was, was present. Amongst the need, we discovered the, the trauma so we uh, we were able to find uh, young graduates in psychology, in mental health care services, and started to provide a psychosocial support program. And that was something new for us because we weren't we weren't equipped in such an um, in such an activity. 
And uh, because it was something new, and I'm glad that it was also encouraged and supported by Embrace. And then um, after a couple of years in 2015 or 2016, we started uh, to provide uh, mental health care, psychosocial services for everyone, for the refugees and for the Lebanese, because this was also a taboo uh, among the community about people to speak about their um, their problems. And it was developed little by little. Uh, and here we are right now in 2022, where uh, also we started to develop the team. And today we are receiving 1,000 patients per day. Incredible. Now, Serop, so far in this interview, we've heard about a genocide, uh, a civil war. You mentioned an influenza pandemic. We haven't even spoken about the COVID pandemic. And, you know, I'm just wondering how much more we can take. I know you were affected. I know the center was affected by the just horrendous port explosion uh, in August of last year. Could you just tell us how that affected you and the center? And, and have you been able to, to, to sort everything out? Uh, the Beirut port explosion was another catastrophe that we had to deal with it. Uh, thankfully, it happened at 6 p.m. The center was closed. We closed by 4 p.m. Thankfully, we were not here within the center. Uh, um, the center was heavily damaged. It was not destroyed. It was damaged. Uh, so the first thing that I did when I came to the center and I saw the damage, the huge catastrophic damage, uh, there was no electricity. Um, it was 6.30 p.m. Uh, people were screaming, were shouting, uh, glasses everywhere. Uh, all of the hospitals around me were destroyed. My center was damaged. So suddenly, uh, we became a frontliner. Suddenly, we were our center, we are a primary healthcare center. We are not a secondary care. So we became uh, frontliners and we had to do something for these people. Uh, so what I did immediately is... Uh, I, I send an SOS message to anyone around there, around me, any physician or healthcare worker who actually can come and serve the people. Uh, so uh, with the collaboration of like-minded organizations, uh, many volunteers, not my staff, many volunteers came from various parts of Lebanon, from South Lebanon and from the Zahle, uh, uh, the healthcare workers, the NGO communities united together and our center became the first frontliners who were able to provide minor surgeries uh, to help the people. So my staff were heavily affected as they were at home trying to fix their wounds, uh, trying to take care of their beloved. But thankfully, with, um, with volunteers came from other parts of the world, uh, of, of Lebanon, and within this period of 24 hours, we were able to immediately respond the physical well-being of the people. And then after 24 hours, the staff joined me also. Serop, 
the, the, your, your story, um, the story of your family, uh, the story of the center, the story of Lebanon is a story of extraordinary resilience. And I mean, you've You've told us a little bit about your own character and 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 how it was formed and why you have inner strength, which I can certainly attest to, as well as huge dynamism. That resilience is is really being tested right now, isn't it, by the the political and the economic situation? Mm. Um, and mm. I wonder if you could just reflect on that a little bit from a personal point of view. I know it's had a big impact on your family, and also, you know, looking forward, what what do you see? Uh, when you look into the, your crystal ball and you think about your 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 kids and their and their future, um, we don't. I, I don't have a choice but to be resilient in this part of the world. Um, and by being resilient, it's something that I don't have it. I just have to respond immediately uh, to the uh, to the catastrophic situations that is happening around me in Lebanon in this part of the world right now uh, my task is to uh, uh, is to be available is to be available myself to provide humanitarian services for the people around me uh, I don't have a choice but to be resilient. I, uh, that's it. So it's something, it is not easy. It is, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what will happen next. But I know that uh, the only thing that I know is when I go back to my faith, to my Christian values, that God has put me here in this time, in this part of the world. Apparently it's, I have something to do. I have to do something uh, uh, with the organization that I am leading with my team uh, to uh, to respond to the humanitarian crisis. Uh, as for my family, as for my kids, uh, sometimes I think that uh, my my kids doesn't necessarily have to live this in this agony in this part of the world, and. Uh, uh, Maybe maybe it, they should have a chance to experience a world different way, uh, normally, not like I've lived, not like my parents lived. Uh, so that's why I'm trying my best to give them uh, the best possible education so that they won't be able to experience the same agony as I have experienced. Serop, I'm, we're going to leave it there. Uh, I want to thank you very much indeed on behalf of uh, myself and all of the listeners. You are an incredible guy. There is no question about it. It's always an enormous pleasure to be with you. And uh, I wish you, and I'm sure all the listeners will wish you every luck in the world in these coming times. 